1: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is
0: waiting for you with every
2: sunrise. Knowing who they are internally, knowing the spiritual integrity, knowing their character, knowing knowing their virtue, that takes time. And that takes time to observe. That takes time spending with them. You need to be asking yourself questions like, what's their relationship with God? Do they love Jesus? Do they want to pray with you? How are they growing in their faith? Do they go to church? Do they read their Bibles? You need to be concerned about things like honesty and sincerity and loyalty and truthfulness and faithfulness, and do they have a servant's heart? This
1: is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Song of Solomon. It takes time to know a person's true character and spiritual integrity. Yet these are the most crucial things to be aware of and hold standards for in relationships. Pastor Gary takes us through lessons of Song of Solomon so that those of us who may be looking for a future spouse will have good guidelines to go by. We learn the dangers of not having equal integrity in moral grounding and the need to abstain from sex before marriage. Through these guidelines, we find a way to confidently move forward into a rewarding Christian relationship. Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Song of Solomon, Chapter 1, with part two of his message Courtship Love. Find
2: the cornerstone, your connection, runs towards your new life. Three points that are important about courtship. If you're interested in a relationship with someone, you're a Christian, you want to be God-honoring, you want to, if you're a Christ follower, what are some of the things that are important for you in, in uh, having a relationship with another person? So here's the first thing. I don't think this is shallow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to qualify it. But the first thing is physical beauty. Physical beauty. I'm not trying to be shallow with this point. All I mean is this. Are you physically attracted to him or her? That's where it does begin. Okay. Are you physically attracted to him or her? Beauty really is in the eye of the beholder. So this is not a statement like there's really good-looking people and then there aren't good-looking people. This is simply the reality that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You, you will find someone attractive that someone else will not and vice versa. Beauty is a very subjective thing, and that's a good thing because, therefore, someone is attractive to someone. That is the reality. That is true. Uh, You know, for those of you who who think, well, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm not so sure that I'm that best looking. Don't evaluate yourself like that because everyone is attractive to someone. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But we can't over-spiritualize this. Sometimes Christians are just like, well, it's really not about the external. It's all about the internal. It's about their heart. Okay, listen. That's going to be point number two, so hold on. But point number one, don't breeze through it because you got to look at this person for the rest of your life. If courtship ends up in marriage, you have to honestly want to wake up in the morning and look at the person. They should be easy on your eyes. Again, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's not a statement of whether they're good-looking or not. The important thing is, are they good-looking to you? Because in this story, they are physically attracted to each other. They are on fire, in fuego. I mean, it's, they are on fire for each other. And because they are attracted to each other physically, she sees him as handsome, he sees her as beautiful. And it gets pretty steamy from the get-go. Look here, chapter 1, verse 2. She's speaking here, okay, she starts talking in the book and she ends talking in the book and she talks in the middle. (laughs) But I I like sometimes she's in the driver's seat, it's okay. She plays offense once in a while. Guys kind of like that, ladies, it's all right. But she says, verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. She's attracted to him. Of course, she is here. She wants to be kissed by him. And she says that his love is more delightful than wine. She's, she says, I'm intoxicated by his love. I'm attracted to him. I just want him to kiss me. Now, listen, she's a little insecure about her looks. Look down further, verse 6. In verse 6, she says, Do not, she says to him, Don't stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. Again, she's a poor peasant girl from the country. She doesn't have a good relationship with her family. And her brothers have pushed her out in the field and say, just get work in the vineyards in the field. So they're angry with her. We don't know all the family dynamics here. She says she's dark. It's not a reference to her race. It is a reference to the fact that she's been scorched under the sun. And so she says to Solomon, I feel weathered by the sun. I don't feel very pretty. And he comes back... And says this, look at further down, verse 15. You know, it's interesting how today we pay money for a fake bake, you know, because we love the tan. Uh, But in the day, back in the day, if you had a weathered look just because you were out in the sun all the time, um, that showed a life of uh, someone who was labor-intensive versus someone who had a life of leisure. And, and so she's a little insecure about her looks. And, and what he does is he comes along to her and he says in verse 15, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. He says twice there, you're beautiful. Twice he uses the word beautiful. And by the way, 14 times in eight chapters, he uses the word beautiful to describe her. And it's a good reminder, guys. The one that you are courting or the one you have married, tell her she's beautiful. Tell her. She's pretty. And she responds, verse 16, how handsome you are, my lover. Now, he, he says you're beautiful 14 times in eight chapters. You know how many times she says you're handsome? This is it. That's it. <laughs> That's it. One and done. You're handsome. Now now let's move on. And she does add there, verse 16, I need to clarify this because this is poetic language. You might think they're already in bed. She says, oh, how charming, and our bed is verdant, meaning green. The beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. In other words, again, this is poetic language. They're having a picnic outside. That's all this is talking about. The grass is green. She's looking at how um, the the cedars and and the firs, the pine trees are around them. Uh, and, And so, listen, again, this is just clearly through the book... They are physically attracted to each other. It's part of it. You you should be physically attracted to the person that you are courting and that you eventually would marry. But again, it's not all about the outward appearance. Because number two is an important point as well. It is also about spiritual integrity. Are you attracted to him or her inwardly? Now, she says here in verse 3, still in chapter 1, verse 3, She says, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Now circle the word name there. That's the important point of this verse. By the way, she loves his cologne. She says, pleasing is your fragrance. You know, you you smell good. And I think it's just kind of a good rule of thumb. You know, guys, don't go out and buy your own cologne. Let her buy it. Let her buy what she likes to smell on you. You know, too many guys splash themselves with a fragrance she don't even like. And uh, it might be good, too, ladies, for you to ask, what, what do you like to smell on me? And let him buy your perfume. Now, you may not like it, but he will. And that's the important thing. If you like the way each other smells, that's, that's what's important. Here. But that's not the main point. He, the main point here is, is she says, your name, your name is like perfume poured out. Proverbs twenty two, verse one, Solomon would write later, A good name is more desirable than great riches, to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. She's making a direct reference here to Solomon's virtue and integrity. She loves his character. She says, You have a good name. She's attracted to his character. She's attracted to his integrity. It's not all about the outside, uh, it is also about the inside. But it takes time to, to assess someone's character, someone's integrity, somebody's virtue. You know, people can generally summarize an individual outwardly pretty quickly. You can decide whether or not you are attracted to someone physically pretty quickly. But knowing who they are internally, knowing the spiritual integrity, knowing their character, knowing, knowing their virtue, that takes time. And that takes time to observe, That takes time spending with them. You need to be asking yourself questions like, what's their relationship with God? Do they love Jesus? Do they want to pray with you? How are they growing in their faith? Do they go to church? Do they read their Bibles? You need to be concerned about things like honesty and sincerity and loyalty and truthfulness and faithfulness. And do they have a servant's heart? Character, the word character is derived from a Greek word, kerax, or keraso, which in the Greek is a word that means a chiseling tool to etch metal. So character is is that which is etched on your soul. It's, it's, the, it's the uncompromising virtues of your life. It, it, those are the principles. Your character are the principles that, that don't change just because circumstances change. Are you a principled person? Are you a person with character and integrity and virtue? Those are important qualities. Don't just be attracted to someone physically. You need to know who they are inside. You need to know their heart. You need to know if this is a man or a woman of virtue and character and integrity. And something, by the way, important in helping you to assess the character of the person you're interested in is the opinion of your friends. Because she says there in verse 3, I read it a moment ago, she says at the end of verse 3, no wonder the maidens love you. And she's not talking about how, oh, they're all sexually attracted to you and desire to be with you like I do. This is a statement of his character. She says, no wonder all the other ladies in town think the best of you. Because you have a good name. It's remarkable to me, and honestly quite alarming to me, when someone can be in a relationship with an individual, and all that someone's friends around that someone say, you know what, we, we don't have a good feeling about this person. You sure you should be courting them? And that someone dismisses the opinions of their friends. You know that old idiom, love is blind, and it is true. Now, I know that sometimes friends around you can have wrong motives for saying certain things. Maybe they're jealous. Uh, maybe they resent. Maybe they're bothered now that, you, you know, you won't be friends anymore because now you're, you're in a relationship with somebody. So there can be some motives that aren't always the most sincere. But if you have several of your friends saying to you, are you sure this person's the right person for you? We don't get a good feeling. We don't get warm fuzzies about this individual. There's just something a little, something wrong there. You better heed the opinion of your friends, because sometimes God will use them to help you see what you cannot see, because love is blind. Now, the opposite is true, too. You can have your friends who say, man, this is, this is a good catch, and this person is a really good individual. This, she's really a sweetheart, or he is really a man of character, and Praise God, and they can rejoice with you, and that is equally as important too. But when she mentions here about the opinion of her friends, don't dismiss that. Part of your courtship should be, you you need to entertain the the, the advice and counsel and opinions of the people around you. Sometimes you can't see what they can see. You're too infatuated. So heed their opinion. Pray at least through it, and, and weigh it before the Lord, because character counts. Character counts. She, she sees this, that he has a good name. His character speaks for itself. And by the way, in the book of Ruth, where Boaz said something very similar about Ruth, in Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, he, he said, All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. So you're courting someone, you're thinking about marriage, make sure that you're not just physically attracted to them, but they also are a man or woman of spiritual integrity. Their character matters. And then finally, number three, and I got to. Uh, work my way through this one pretty quickly because we're just about out of time, but also moral purity. Uh, You need to be asking yourselves, are, are you both intentional about moral purity in your relationship? Because you should be. Now, it is normal and quite rightly expected to have sexual desire for someone you have fallen in love with. God wired you that way. But if you have sexual desires for someone in a courtship and you're not married to them yet, you have one of two ways of dealing with that sexual desire. Number one, you restrain yourselves. Or number two, you get married. That's it. Because God intended sex to be a gift enjoyed in marriage between a man and a woman. I know that that's counterculture, and I know some of you right now are sitting in your seats going, yo, 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 Pastor Gary, dude, yo, man, dude, yo. <laughs> Yo, word, yo, yo, you're living in the dark ages, yo, Pastor G, come on now, people are having sex all the time now, and you know, we, we, you know, that's just the way we do it these days, we kind of test drive the car before we actually purchase the vehicle, do you know, that's the way we kind of do things these days, like, yo, 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 like, yo, yo, listen, listen, yo, listen, listen, yo, you didn't, you didn't invent sex, Columbus, okay, you didn't discover it, like, that's been going on forever, okay, not saying it's right. I'm just saying, you know, don't look at me and go, you dark ages. People have been doing that for a long time. And by the way, the problems are still the same. When you have sex outside of marriage, the problems are still the same. The problems in my day are still the problems that are still the same problems today. Sex outside of marriage has baggage with it. Wish I had time to tell you the number of people I've counseled over the years of, of pastoral ministry who have experienced deep rejection, betrayal, unplanned pregnancies, STDs, all kinds of emptiness. I thought he really loved me, and then he left, and sometimes even left her with the kid that he produced. I mean, all kinds of heartache. So, dude, dude, how about trying it God's way, and maybe it'll go better for you. How's that working for you? Right? And ladies, let me say something to you. If you're in a dating relationship or some kind of a courtship and you're thinking, well, I have sexual desires for this guy. Okay, that part's normal. If you're in love with someone, you're going to have sexual desires. If you're thinking, if we have sex, he will love me more and I will feel more connected, okay? He's thinking, I want to have sex because it feels good. That's the only reason. It's the only reason. I know now guys are like, you just blew our cover, Pastor G. Yeah, but I'm just telling you. He's not interested in connection. He's not interested in how this expresses love. Not before marriage. It's all about taking. You know the Hebrew word for love is ahava. Ahava in the Hebrew. So ladies, now they sell it here. You used to only be able to get it in Israel, but you used to buy ahava products, lotions, and now you can buy them here. Ahava, it just means love. And it is from the root word hava, which means to give. Real biblical love is about giving. It's about serving. It's about thinking of the other person. Our culture has made love about getting. It's really a lustful approach outside of the understanding of marriage. Sex has just become something that people want to get. And men and women approach the idea of sexual intimacy in very different ways. But the only way that you will ever really truly understand and experience the greatest satisfaction of sexual fulfillment is if you experience the gift that God gave God's way, which is within a monogamous heterosexual marriage. Period. (laughs) Period. So, you know, if some of you are like, you know, you're tripping, it's really old-fashioned. I'm just telling you, if you really want to experience God's gift in the best way, with mutual love and oneness and real satisfaction, then we need to understand moral purity. And that is that you abstain before marriage. Now, let me show you real quickly here, because I'm, I'm already over time. But if, if you look at verse 4, still here, at chapter 1, verse 4, she admits she has strong sexual desires for him in verse 4. She says, take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Okay, you see that? But then she adds in verse 7, Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday, underline that, midday, why should I be like a veiled woman in, beside the flocks of your friends? Okay, a veiled woman is a euphemism for a prostitute. She says, I, I'm not going to be like some you know, woman who comes out at night. We're going to have an open, above-board relationship. I'll see you at midday. I'm not going to be hiding in the shadows. We're not going to be doing things, you know, that we shouldn't be doing under the cover of darkness. I'm not going to be seen as some veiled woman, as some prostitute, somebody who's just, you know, this, this cheap woman in this relationship. I want our relationship to be above board, broad daylight. I will see you, sir, at midday. Okay? And then she even gives advice to her girlfriends. Go to chapter 2 real quickly. Chapter 2, look at Verse 7. In chapter 2, verse 7, she says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires, or literally until the appropriate time. And when is the appropriate time? Marriage. Because that's what they're going to get to in chapter 3. They're going to have a marriage ceremony in chapter 3, and then they're going to have sex in chapter 4. And she repeats this exhortation. The same words, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires, until the appropriate time. She repeats it, chapter 3, verse 5, and chapter 8, verse 4. And he will add, still here in chapter 2, look at verse 15. He will add in verse 15 of chapter 2, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Now again, this is poetic language. Vineyard in this whole storyline is often a metaphor for physical bodies and notice that the vineyards are in bloom so he's basically saying uh, our bodies are, you know, our hormones are raging but he talks here about the little foxes he goes, we've got to be careful of these little foxes because the little foxes can sneak in and destroy the vineyards and ruin it there's this warning here that they're both aware of we got to be careful of the little compromises that could lead us into sexual sin and dishonor God we, we got to be very careful We've got to examine all these different ways in our relationships that we've allowed the little foxes to get in that could potentially ruin our relationship. Now let me say this in closing. If you're right now in this kind of a courtship phase of your life where either you are in a relationship or want to be or will be at some point, you might read through this as I've just gone through the summary here and you said, well, you know... Moral purity, I failed in this area, and now what? So, God is a forgiving God. And the important thing about recognizing sexual purity before the Lord is to confess it as sin when it's been violated. And God forgives. And you start anew. I tell people all the time when when we get on topics about sexuality and then things like divorce, you know, and look, you you can't roll back time. What you can decide is now with either new information, maybe for some for the first time, or new conviction about information you've known from this point on, this point forward, I'm going to live my life for the glory of God. I'm going I'm to ask him to forgive me of my past sins, and I'm going to put the past in the past, and from this point on, new life in him. Okay? And you walk in the grace of the Lord. Okay? And if, if you have preserved your sexual purity and you're waiting for marriage, don't let anyone shame you that you are somehow you know, behind the times or you need to get with it, and don't ever feel pressured to compromise virtue. Okay? Um, you know anybody beyond puberty can have sex anybody can real virtue and character is a life that says i want to honor god the bible says your life is not your own it was bought with a price therefore honor god with your body And Romans 1 says, let us offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is our reasonable act of worship. We need to honor God with our lives. If you're in a courtship or a plan to be, yes, be attracted to them physically. Yes, extremely important. Be attracted to them inwardly and keep yourselves pure. Amen.
1: Song of Solomon is quite unique among the other books of the Bible. It's a vivacious poem exploring God's intentions for the relationship between a husband and wife, both before and during their marriage. Song of Solomon is very frank in its descriptions, yet reveals a union that's beautiful, emotional, and passionate. This book also tells us that God desires a deeply connected union with His bride, the church. He loves us more purely and perfectly than any relationship we'd ever find on earth. God's love for you caused him to send his son to earth to take away your sin, dying on the cross in your place. All you need to do is accept the grace he offers and begin a new life of love and devotion to God. Are you ready to take that step or do you have any questions? We'd be happy to talk with you. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. Pastor Gary has also created a short video explaining what salvation is and why every person needs it. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on How to Get to Heaven under the Grow tab to find it. We're so glad you tuned in today. Join us next time for more from this verse-by-verse study of the Song of Solomon. Right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know you're not a